listen to that guitar, kids. That's the one and only Nathan J. Moody on guitar on that song, by the way. He's so good. Man, every time. Man, I love that tune. It's a good song. So, here we are, kids. Welcome back. It's February 2020. Welcome to Life Happened Anyway. I'm your host, Adam Troutman. This was kind of the original launch date that I had imagined, but I I couldn't help it. So I, I jumped the gun anyway and launched last month, and it's been outstanding. Uh, the response has been really good. You guys seem to be really digging it, and I appreciate your listenership. Today is kind of a cool day because I'm kind of going to take us back a little bit, kids. I'm going to take us back to kind of how I got into dueling pianos, kind of how I actually just really got into professional musicianship, I guess. Um, (laughs) That was a weird word. Uh, I've always played music and I've always been, you know, I have had original bands and all all kinds of stuff, but I really didn't start uh, to make a living at it until I got into, you know, drumming and singing for dueling pianos. And then that led to other opportunities as well. So we're kind of have to rewind the clock back about, oh, dare I say, 17 years. About 17 years is when I got into this. And we're going to go back to about, well, let's say October. Yes, there it is, kids. October 2003. And... I kind of want to paint a picture of what my life is like, right? Because that's the whole point of this. It's not just to say, oh, well, I, I auditioned for this and went and did this and played here and did that. I mean, it's kind of boring. So what my life was like at the time was I still had my original band, Switch Hitter. And we were uh, touring and playing a lot of cool shows and, and doing cool stuff. I was not making a lot of money at the time in my kind of day job life. Um, for a few years, I was working out at uh, for this company called HP, and I was doing this like really low level printer testing. Um, it was really boring. It was, I mean, it, it paid and it was very consistent. So, I mean, looking back, I mean, I'm I'm grateful for what what it was at the time. But I had left it eventually because I I really wanted to to play music and do other things. I needed something more flexible. And I don't, admittedly, I don't quite remember all of the circumstances of why that job ended, but I left it and I had just started dating my, um, (laughs) this is awesome, my first ex-wife. That's right, kids. I am 0 for 2 and uh, I had just moved in. I needed a job. So uh, I, because I was on unemployment and a, a buddy of mine uh, his name was uh, Chris, Loud Chris, Elsie, everyone calls him. He had worked at a a camera store called Idaho Camera. He really, I have to, my hat's off to him. He actually pulled a lot of strings uh, to get me in there. And he talked to his boss, got me a job starting out in like camera sales and stuff. And, you know, I had no idea what I was doing. I had no clue what I was doing to sell cameras uh, I knew nothing about cameras. Uh, in 03, this was back before cell phones really had any kind of camera worth a squat. I mean, really, it, it, the, the cameras back then on phones were a joke. So, you know, cameras, you know, the 
the normal size big cameras were <laughs> the norm that main note says the normal size big cameras what was that adam those were normal and so it was very popular people still printed all of their photos uh very very little storage on phones there was very little of that back then in the early 2000s so here i am with this job i had to dress up <laughs> i had to wear a tie every day I worked downtown, and so that part was kind of cool because it was the downtown location. They had a couple locations, and I got to work at the downtown one, which was cool. I liked it. Well, kind of. I mean, I liked the location. It, it, was, it was everything in me that I don't like about Joe Jobs. You know, I'm just, I'm not an eight to five person, and that is no insult to anybody that is because there's, you know, it takes all kinds in the world to make it work, so and all kinds of businesses. But for me, that is, um, that type of monotony, uh, is difficult for me. I have a hard time with that, but that's what I had. I had an eight to five Monday through Friday gig and I was on salary for like a thousand dollars a month. So, you know, at the time, you know, I I was like 22. I want to say, I don't know if I had turned 23 yet, but I was a young guy. I had no bills or no debt to speak of. I hadn't, you know, I was only at the beginning of my financial mistakes. So I really didn't have anything to worry about. And so, you know, even even though there was commission on top of that, but I didn't really anticipate selling Jack Squat because I didn't know anything about it. And I and what was cool though is the company knew that I would I would work hard to learn. And that's kind of why they hired me because I, I felt I had good customer service and I knew I could learn the tech of the cameras. And so, uh, you know, they, they gave it a shot. So I'm having to go to work wearing a tie and, and all this stuff. And, and I just, I was there such a short, I remember going there for, for a real short time. I mean, I was only really there for, I want to say a few weeks. It could have even been a few days. You guys, I honestly don't remember. It could have been that bad. I was going to this job, not knowing what I was doing, you know, helping people, you know, giving them their photos. I wasn't even in the back, like working with the photos. It was just, I was up front running a cash register. Basically that is the the kind of picture of my life at the time. I had a band that, you know, I was paying to be in. I mean, we all were, Uh, I had said this in a previous podcast. I mean, you, you kind of pay to play a lot in the original music world. And so that was my life. That's all I wanted at the time. And I remember when I got this phone call, I was over at my buddy Ian's house and we were playing some type of role-playing game. We were throwing dice and killing monsters. You know, I'm a complete nerd. If you didn't know me, now you do. Uh, so we were, we were, we were gaming over there and I got a, a call on my phone and it was uh, an old acquaintance of mine. Her name was Stephanie. And she was like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm getting this, this waitress job, this like head server job at this new place that's opening up downtown. And I was like, Oh, I was like, Oh, oh, it's cool. Good for you. That's awesome. And she was like, well, I'm not calling just to let you know that, but, but I think I got you an audition. I was like, well, an audition. I'm like, what, what, for what, you know? And she's like, well, it's this place called, it's going to be called Boogie Woogies and it's a dueling piano bar. And I was like, what the hell is a dueling piano bar? I, I had no idea what it was. I had no clue. I'd never heard of it. Uh, I was like, 
I don't play piano. That was the first thing I said. I was like, I don't play piano. And she's like, no, 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 man. He, he wants a drummer. You know, the, the, this, the, the guy who's running it wants a drummer and asked if I knew any, any local good drummers. And so I dropped your name and he wants to talk to you. And I was like, okay, well, who's this guy? Well, his name's, his name's Bobby D. And I said, okay, is he from here? And, and she was like, no, he's from Portland. So what had happened was Boogie Woogies was actually originally from Portland, Oregon. And, and I admittedly, I don't know all the details. I just knew that they decided to move the business to Boise. I think there was a split from one of the other players there in Portland and I don't know if I don't admittedly I don't know all the details I might, I might actually ask Bobby because I, I still see him uh, every now and then um, exactly what the scenario was but I think there was a split so basically uh, Bobby who was one of the the head players in Portland as well I think that he and another player you know one group decided to come out here and one group stayed in Portland. They actually renamed Boogie Woogies. It was called Wallbangers at the time, I think, or something like that. That piano bar, they kind of split and did their own things. So through whatever circumstances, Boise was decided as the new location. So they brought, you know, all all the gear, all the, you know, they had all kinds of, of um, like, decor that was unique to Boogie Woogies that they brought out here. And they opened up on uh, in the Mode building uh, in downtown Boise. And they had the entire second floor of this huge, I mean, this huge place. I mean, nowadays, with what, you know, real estate prices and all that stuff, I, I mean, I don't know how you'd keep the doors open if you had that that much real estate to deal with. So, But they were the entire second floor of, of that building downtown. So Bobby liked to use drummers in dueling pianos. Now, understand that that is not a normal practice. Even to date here in 2020, it's not normal to hire a separate drummer. A lot of times, uh, the piano players in dueling pianos will you know, be like multi-instrumentalists themselves. So they'll be able to play some drums or some bass or guitar or some other things. So it's not very common to have like a house drummer at all. But Bobby really believed in that concept. So he asked Stephanie if she knew someone. So so back to the to the phone call. I said, "Okay, well, that that's kind of cool." Um uh, and she, you know, I was like, "Well, is it how often is it going to be?" And she's like, "Well, it's going to be like every night." <laughs> and I was like, "What? Like every night?" I was like, "Am I going to get paid for this, you know?" Uh I didn't know what it was like to do that. And she's like, "Yeah, it's going to be like a full-time gig. It's going to be like five nights a week." So I I hang up the phone and and I and I tell my friends I think it was Ian and it's Ian Tara, uh, she's got a cool podcast too by the way quick, quick plug it's called uh, the Nerd Effect, and they talk about nerdy stuff they're cool they talk about all kinds of stuff movies video games uh, so Tara's got a cool podcast she's a part of too but it was Ian Tara me and uh, our friend Dan as well who was their roommate and he's he's uh, since passed away really great guy. Um, but it was the four of us or five of us. I want to say it was four or five of us. So I tell everyone and, and everyone's really excited. It was cool. And so I kind of get ready to do this audition and I, I, I call this guy and, (laughs) and he kind of gave me a little bit of the, of the rundown. Um, not really. I mean, I kind of remember it was just kind of like, well, Hey, you know, come, come talk to me, 
You know, it was like in the afternoon, man. This was like at two o'clock in the afternoon, a few days later. I go down there and I walk into this club and I mean, it, it looked great. I mean, it was big. Not, I mean, they had great like cocktail, um, cocktail tables in the front to this beautiful, huge bar. And then you, you go to the left of the room and there's lo- just lots of tables and this really cool corner stage, great lighting, great sound system, all that, a beautiful drum set, beautiful, um, baby grand pianos and this, you know, this whole setup, but it's all dark, right? Like the mood was super intentional. Bobby at the time was super, um, now understand everything I'm going to say about Bobby over the next, you know, few podcasts, because I intend to actually make this two or three parts. So this really is Boogie Woogie's part one. Uh, Bobby at the time, like he was a very controlling individual <laughs> to say the least, and so the the vibe of the room, the way that he was sitting at one of the chairs off to the side at one of the tables, you know, I walked in. I mean, this dude's like wearing sunglasses in a dark room with a lit cigarette. And we sit down and we start talking. And he asked me some of my music background and asked, you know, do I sing? And and I said I did. And that was, you know, come to find out one of the big things that he wanted was someone who could sing backups. So we talk for a few minutes and he tells me about the gig, you know, that it's it's uh gonna be X amount of nights and and you know, the pay, I think he was paying me like fifty bucks a night. And so I'm thinking to myself, or I mean, are you kidding me? Basically it was the exact same money I was making at the camera store. But I was playing music instead. And to me, that was kind of a no-brainer. So, you know, I was I was super interested. He says, All right, well, let's let's uh let's check some let's check it out and see what, what you got. And I said, Okay, okay. So we get up and he's got like a whiskey and a cigarette on the piano, and I get back on the drum set and we start uh playing some music. And the first song that he ever played that wanted to hear me was it was by James Taylor, How How Sweet It Is To Be Loved By You. So we he starts playing this tune, which was not what I expected, by the way. I mean, I have to admit, I had no clue. Was this going to be jazz? Was this going to be like some kind of weird fusion thing? Like, I had, no, I had no idea what it was. I just knew it was like an all-request show. And it was going to be some comedy and, and that kind of stuff. And he basically prepped me for... Like this was going to be the hardest gig of my life and he was going to kick my ass, essentially. That, that was what he really prepped me for. So he starts playing this song and and I grab, right in the chorus, I grab a harmony above what he was doing right away. And he, his ears perked up and he smiled at me. And we played a couple of tunes that were super mellow like that. And he was like, okay, well, why don't you, uh, why don't you come back? We're going to do some soft opening and soft openings nights, and why don't you come back and and uh, play live with me? And I was like, oh, okay, all right, cool. So I I go back home and I'm like freaking out because I have no idea what this dude's gonna do, no clue. YouTube and stuff like that kind of uh, I I didn't use it. If if it even really exists, it doesn't. It didn't exist then the way it does now. Now you can just be like, what's dueling pianos? And then you can go get, you know, a thousand videos on dueling pianos right now from your phone, let alone having to look it up on a computer. So I had no clue back then, you know, what any of this was. I had no clue how to prepare for it. So I just kind of went into it. 
Yeah, I remember being super, super scared. And my and my girlfriend at the time was like, you know, you are great at improv stuff. You know, lots of tunes. You've played in lots of bands. Just, just kind of go for it. So I, I want to say it was like a week later. Oh, yeah, I want to say it was like a week later. He, he says, okay, come and, you know, come and do this. It was a Wednesday night, mid-October in 2013. And my, I, I brought my parents down. I was like, I told my folks, I was like, hey, this is, you know, I'm, I'm going to get paid to play music. And they were actually really stoked for me. And they came down and I had a couple other friends down, my girlfriend down. You know, I had kind of a little crew that came down. So I'm sitting here and they start the show and I watch it for about, man, I want to say at least an hour. And I'm like jaw dropped. Like, are you kidding me? Like these guys were rocking out. These, they were so good. Both Bobby and this other player was playing with him. His name's Ron, Ron Savage. These guys were so good. Both of them have this cool phenomenon called perfect pitch. So what that means to the kids that, that don't understand what it is, it's actually a type of tonal uh, tone memory that people that have it can hear a tone, a note, and they know what it is. So they can hear someone play a chord. They can they they know just by by memory. If, if you if you if you had someone stand their back, you know facing the piano and someone played a note they would just be say oh that's a c oh that's a d oh that's a whatever an f sharp or whatever right they would just know that and i mean part of it is trained yes if you take someone with perfect pitch and if they never took any type of instrument lessons or vocal lessons to know what a c is or what an a is they would just be able to tell certain things so for example um i have another acquaintance of mine he was in kind of the original music scene at the time, and he had perfect pitch, but he it wasn't really super trained. How he knew he had it was he was in his car, and they were listening to the radio, and like a Bon Jovi song came on, and he was like, there's something wrong with that recording. And his sister was like, well, what do you mean? It's the radio. Well, what, what happened was the radio had played it at a, a slightly different speed, so he knew the tone difference from the original record version and what the radio station was playing at, at like a microtone higher because it was playing slightly faster. So that's how he kind of knew. Um, Ron, how he knew was he was just started piano lessons and he was like a little kid, man, like six or seven. And he was running out. Uh, of class, the bell rang and he came out and said, Hey mom, that's that, you know, he would say that note is this. And that's how they discovered that, that he had it. So all that to say, both these guys were so good. And, and the perfect pitch thing comes into play because, you know, as for doing something with improv, they can just play stuff. So if you, if you like hum them, you know, the melody of a tune, they can figure out chord structures around that. And it's not always perfect because some some pieces of music and some songs are written, you know, the chord structure behind it is, is you know, very different from the melody intentionally. You can't just say the melody is uh, completely linked up with the chords all the time. But but they can, they their, their capabilities are just astronomically better than someone who doesn't have this. So these guys were just rocking these songs. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I think I remember looking down the table at some of my, my crew and, and I was like, 
oh man, <laughs> like what have I got myself into? Am I good enough for this? You know, I, I just had no clue. So then Bobby looks out and sees me and, you know, I'm watching everything. I mean, there's, there's jokes and shtick and, and what are called call downs and where they roast people for birthdays and special events. I mean, these guys were so good. And so he was like, well, hey, everybody, I got a special guest. You know, his name's Adam. He's going to come up and play some drums. I'm trying him out. And so everyone claps. And I, I go up there, climb back there. And um, he looks at, I'll never, Bobby has a very, uh, Bobby can have a very mischievous look sometimes uh, when he's up to something. And I didn't know that then. He looks over. He looks across at Ron and, and. Bobby looks at me and just says off the mic, he just says, good luck. (laughs) So I was like, okay, all right. So the first song that we did was Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen. (laughs) So I'd never played this on the drums in my life. I was really familiar with the song, but I, I knew the song really well. I knew the arrangement, but I've never played it. And so not only did I never played it, but, you know, sometimes if people try to cover this, which is really rare, by the way, for people to try to cover this song, sometimes it's not exactly like note for note or arrangement. The arrangement's not perfect. I mean, even now at the piano bar I play with, I think we do the song really well, but there is one transition that we kind of have our own way of doing. Part of that is because there's virtually no rehearsal. Um, in fact, at, at where I play right now, there is no rehearsal. <laughs> we, we, I, we've never rehearsed before in our entire career playing together. So we just kind of do it on the spot and we find something that works and then we just kind of stick to it. So um, I had no idea what I was in for because these guys, in fact, the, the, the one who really spearheaded the song was Ron. Ron can play that song freaking exactly the way it is on the album. Like he can play it note for note, rhythm for rhythm. The guy's timing, you can put a metronome to it. He is so good of a player. So I was like, oh crap, you know? But right off the bat, they play the first opening melody and and Ron sings the melody and Bobby hits a harmony and I choose a harmony above. And we basically three-part harmony the entire song. And just off the cuff. It was so awesome. And I remember Bobby like trying to contain his, he was practically squealing with, with like, he was wanting to laugh cause he was so excited, but we played this whole thing and I just watched Ron like a hawk man. And, and I pretty much got most of it. There's one transition that I think everyone kind of screws up. And that one transition I mentioned earlier, we do at the piano bar a little differently. I mean, I made it, but it wasn't pretty through that one little section. It was good. I mean, Ron knew how to, to give direction too. I mean, hats off to Ron. So we do this song and we rock it out all the way to the end. The crowd is like everyone standing on their feet clapping. And as the crowd, as, as the, 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 the clapping and the cheers start to go away, Bobby says, well, hey, I think that, that uh, Adam's audition went pretty well. What do you guys think? And everyone, you know, responds and, and, and shouts and cheers. And then he says, do you think I should give him the job? And then everyone erupts, you know, and it was such a cool moment. And, and he looked at me and says, you're hired. And that, that was how I got the gig was that song. The only, the first song I played live with them at a soft opening at about seven thirty on a Wednesday night in October, uh, 2003. That's how it happened. And, and I got into it kind of what, what, 
transpired after that, you know, I'll kind of go into part two, but um, Bobby had another drummer that he flew in and, you know, and put him up to open the club with. So how dueling pianos kind of worked in more of its at the peak of what it was, was you'd have, you know, as many as four or five players and they'd fly them in and put them up either in a condo or they'd have hotels or whatever they were going to do. And then those players would stay there for like two to four weeks at a time. So they pair them up and they, they switch off like hours. So the shows were a little longer than a lot of piano bars are now. So it would, the show would start at like eight o'clock, seven o'clock even. And then we'd go all the way till 2 a.m. here. So each, each team would just swap off hours. And what Bobby wanted to do was he would have a drummer play from nine o'clock on. And the one drummer was, is the only drummer. He didn't have another one. Uh, And and breaks were okay. I'll talk about some of the dynamics of what that was like uh, in the next part. But, but so, so he had this drummer named Mikey that was here. Really nice guy from Austin, Texas. Super cool dude. He knew the gig really well. A really great drummer. He didn't really sing a lot. He like maybe did like one tune, uh, but, but he, he was a, a really nice guy. So what I would do is I would show up because, because I would show up to listen to the show for, for the few weeks that, that Mikey was there. I think Mikey was there for like three weeks to open the club. So I was there to kind of like give him breaks and to learn the gig. So I would show up and I showed up with a, uh, like a, a notepad and I wrote down every single song that they did every single one. And I would go and find those tunes and try to learn what I could. Cause there was a lot of things I didn't know. I mean, I had been in uh, like one cover band, maybe two cover bands, uh, the pre, you know, uh, the previous couple of years, you know, the one that I talked about in episode one, Ant Flow, that was the first cover band I was in. So I did have some kind of a base of some of these songs. So I listened to everything that I could. And I was just upset. I was there from eight o'clock to two o'clock every single night, whether I was playing or not. And I was learn trying to learn these tunes. Eventually, Mikey went back to Texas, and and I was kind of on. You know, the cool part is that you know, to be fair, Bobby, you know, he he paid me the whole time. It's it's not like I I had to you know just spend all my own time there. He paid me as a trainee the whole time, uh, which was pretty cool of him. So that's what happened is that's how we got into the gig. I kind of really obsessively worked at it once I got in there because it was such a unique show that you would have comedy and rock and roll and you could just get anything. You could go from, and we still do, we could go from someone asking for Mac the Knife to Rage Against the Machine in one night. I mean, you, you, there's just such a huge broad spectrum of music to that it's not just about knowing it it's just about being exposed to it so we can at least get through it right i mean it, all request shows are kind of tough because sometimes we have to fake it so but that is the story of boogie woogies part 1 thanks kids for listening i look forward to shortly bringing you boogie woogies part 2 and 3 it gets good kids thanks for hanging out welcome to february we'll see ya